Anna Hartman uh, was a mom, was a wife, and she loved going to church. She came every Sunday, and uh, you would call her a committed follower of Christ. Um, one day, uh, she had gone to the doctor. She had some uh, throat issues, and he said, hey, you're going to need a tonsillectomy. How many of you know what those are? My wife had one, and she ate ice cream like you're supposed to. Anyway, the doctor assured her, hey, it's going to be a simple process, just a couple snips, you'll be in the hospital overnight, go home the next day, and you know you can enjoy your time off from work for a day or two, and so Anna thought, man, that's great, I'll, uh, I'll get through that. So the morning after surgery, Anna was running a slight fever, and so the doctor was a little puzzled, but he wasn't alarmed by it, and he said, you know, this stuff happens sometimes, and just plan to stay one more night, and we'll have you out by noon tomorrow. And, uh, you know, Anna, of course, was disappointed, uh, but she thought, well, I can handle one more night here, and so, um, you know, it's not the end of the world, but actually Anna was, was very wrong. Uh, late that night, she was alone in her hospital room, and an artery ruptured in her throat. Um, the bleeding couldn't be stopped, and Anna died. in that hospital room. The doctor who had performed the surgery was called and he arrived in no time and Anna's pastor was in the waiting room with her husband, Ron. Uh, as the doctor came in to express his sympathy and he said this was an act of God, one of those freaky things that no one could have predicted. But uh, it wasn't that simple. Because after the autopsy, it revealed that an artery had been nicked uh, during the surgery. And uh, Ron, Anna's husband, was decimated by it all you can imagine. And he said, why did God let this happen? It all seems like some kind of cruel joke. I mean, she was only 28 years old. And that night, Ron Hartman... Uh, traveled on a road that he never wanted to travel. And uh, he quickly remarried, moved far away, and Ron's life went into a tailspin. So we can ask the question, why do terrible things happen? You know, why? Um, we don't always have answers, but... Um, this morning and the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through a, a book in the Old Testament, Habakkuk. Um, and the dude, Habakkuk, is called a prophet, and uh, he had some questions for God. He basically had, why do terrible things happen questions, and a litany of others, and, and he brought them to God. And so um, in this tiny book, we're going to walk through the, the honesty of this man and how he deals with those questions and how God deals with those questions himself and how he himself responds. So uh, Habakkuk really wanted to know, God, are you fair? You know, I don't know if you've ever asked that question yourself, but uh, I, I really believe that every human being, we, we kind of come to that point sometime in our life. 
And um, so Habakkuk was a, was a guy who was struggling with questions. And there were two major questions that he asked right off the bat was, how long and why? I don't know if you've ever asked God how long or you've ever asked him why. Uh, it's good to know that there was a guy in the Bible who did. And by, by that, he's giving you permission to do the very same thing. And that's, that's what's cool. Howard Hendricks uh, was a, a theology teacher, Bible teacher. And he called Habakkuk the man with a question mark for a brain. Maybe you can identify with that uh, this morning. And so uh, let's go. Inside your, your news, your program, you've got um, um, an outline with this morning's talk. And um, right here. And we just want to encourage you to pull that out and fill in the blanks. It's always fun to do that early on a Sunday morning. And, uh, and so there we have it. Uh, uh, let's go to the book, Habakkuk. Five books uh, going at the tail end of, of Malachi and Matthew. You go just go in reverse five books and you'll find it. Uh, three chapters. Also in your program, you'll, all those verses are listed right there. So, so you can follow right along. Let's, let's read it together and... Um, See what God's going to talk to us about this morning. Are you ready? Good, good, good. It's good to be ready. So this is the message that the prophet, he's a prophet, Habakkuk, received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? There's the first question. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Interesting. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Here's the second question. Why? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. So that justice has become perverted. So here's a dialogue. It's one of the most interesting books in, in the Bible where a prophet usually uh, hears a message from God and he declares it, he speaks of it to the people. In this book, we see there's a dialogue going on between the prophet and God. They're having a conversation. What does that remind you of? Well, that should remind us of, that's what prayer is all about, isn't it? It's a dialogue. It's God speaking, we're listening we're speaking, God's listening, and so there's a dialogue back and forth. So I think it's pretty cool uh, in this three-chapter book that the prophet Habakkuk is having a conversation with God, and it gets a little messy. Uh, to be quite honest, life can be messy. And so I tell you, man, I, I get encouraged. A little background on this. The year was 605 B.C. Uh, king Josiah had died King Josiah had been a good king. Um, he was passionate for God, but after he died, his two sons, boom, boom, uh, they were not godly. And so the, the Judah went into a tailspin. And uh, can we see that uh, map real quick? So let's, uh, let's get on a plane, and uh, this is where we're looking at 605 B.C., 
the Mediterranean Sea, is it still there today? This is not a fairy tale. This is what I like about the Bible. It's real. You can trust it. It's history. And so Jerusalem, Judah, it was the southern kingdom because uh, the son after Solomon, uh, uh, Rehoboam, uh, had a little conflict with uh, Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, and because of that conflict, the nation of Israel split into two. So Israel is the northern kingdom, Judah is the southern kingdom. And so this morning, we're talking about the southern kingdom. Judah, for a long time, had separated itself from Israel, and Israel went south spiritually first. Judah hung on to the tradition of living for God. But here we see, after Josiah had died, his sons didn't carry the baton spiritually, and they crashed and burned, which led the entire nation, man, to go south, you know, to struggle spiritually, to worship all these phony baloney gods. So Jerusalem, as you can see, is, is part of Judah, and um, it's still there today as well. And if you haven't gone to Israel, it's a great place to visit because you, uh, when you see a map like this, uh, it just kind of lights your fire, you know, how cool the Bible really is. So uh, during, during the reign, um, Babylon invaded Judah. And you can, you know, here's the parallel. It's 2 Kings 23 and 24. It gives you a little background to where we are with the environment we're looking at today. And so from this, spiritually, Judah is crashing. And Habakkuk, the man of God, the man who loves God, is, is grieved by this whole thing, and he wants God to do something about it. And he's asking these questions, God, where are you? And so here's Habakkuk, and we don't know much about him, but we can assume that he's around 30 years old. He's hanging out with guys like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, which puts it in a little other picture, and he's about 10 to 15 years older than Daniel. And we know about Daniel, because there's a book about him, right? There is. There is. And so Habakkuk, looking at his beloved nation, crashing and burning spiritually, he's going to God, and he's been praying for a long time, and he's saying, God, do something about this. You know? And it seems like God is silent. Have you ever been there in those situations? We all have, for sure. But here's the deal. What I like about this book is Habakkuk, J. Vernon McGee, Bible teacher, says Habakkuk begins with a question mark and ends with an explanation point. So he's asking a bunch of questions on the front end, and on the tail end, he settles it with God. He's good with what God has to, has to say, which should be a great example for each one of us this morning. You know, It's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to kind of have a spiritual debate with God. It's all right, because God's going to walk us through it if we stay on track. So John 16, here's the deal. Jesus says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. The NIV says trouble. You're going to have a bunch of trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So on the front end, we have to be reminded that 
trouble is normal on this planet. This is not heaven on earth. This is an earth that's been invaded by sin. And when sin invaded this planet, bad things happened. And they continue to happen. And the message, I like how it says, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I've conquered the world. Aren't you glad for that? So right off the top, listen, we are not, we're living in a broken world. And bad things happen, as Habakkuk realizes. And Jesus endorses that fact that as long as we are living on this planet, bad things will happen. And bad things can happen to you, even as a follower of Christ. Even for those who are searching, you know, spiritually, what's, what's going on? Is there a God? Does God love me? Does God care? And so um, that leads us to number one in your, on, your, on your notes. Does God care? Does God care? If God's all-powerful, why does he allow evil and suffering? If God, is God concerned about us? Does he notice all the troubles that take place on our planet? Does God care? We're not going to take a vote this morning, but how many of you have asked that same question? God, do you care? Huh? Yeah. I've been there. And so, in verse 1, this message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. In a vision. So here's the thing. This, this received means God gave it to Habakkuk. This is not Habakkuk just going off on a, on a trail on his own. This is a vision that God gave to him. And so Habakkuk is communicating that. Just like Peter in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, this should really encourage all of us where he says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So that puts reality on God's word, that it's not just a bunch of dudes out there coming up with stories you know, and filling in the blanks. They heard from God, they wrote it down, and we get to enjoy it today. The same thing happened to Habakkuk. This wasn't, he didn't have a bad dream. God gave him this vision. It came from God. And Habakkuk is communicating that to each one of us. So Habakkuk, thank you very much for being obedient to what God had to say. So, sub-point number one, I pray, but don't see the answer. Verse 2a. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. So sometimes when we think that God doesn't care, we pray, and it seems like God is on vacation somewhere, don't we? We think, he's way out there. He's too involved with everybody else than me. He doesn't care about me. And so how long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Here's the thing. Habakkuk had been praying for a long time. And it seemed like God was ignoring his prayer. Nothing seemed to be happening. His country was getting worse, not better. It seemed like nothing was turning the country back to God. And so Habakkuk was thinking, man, God, don't you care? The message puts it this way. The problem is God gave Habakkuk to see it. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? 
How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, before you come to the rescue? Yeah. We're waiting for a rescue here. And so I like what Philip Yancey wrote. He's a Christian author. He went through his own personal crises spiritually. And this is what came out. The Bible teaches us to pray with blistering honesty. God wants us to come to him with our complaints. And if we march through life pretending to smile while inside we bleed, we dishonor the relationship. Isn't it liberating? We get to be transparent. We get to be honest with God. Why is that? Because God already knows what we're going through and how we're feeling and what we're thinking. Why do we think if we just keep it stored up on the inside and we put on a plastic face, somehow we trick God into thinking we're good? Huh? It doesn't happen that way. God knows what we're thinking, so we might as well be honest with him. You read Psalms, and man, I tell you, that's a great book. It's one of my favorites. Why? Because the transparency of the writers. One-third of the Psalms are godly people crying out, have mercy, God. That's pretty encouraging. You read Job. That's another good book for encouragement. In Job 2.9, Job's wife said, curse God and die. And Job couldn't make sense of the crucible that he had been going through. And then finally, in Job 19.25, he affirms, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. You see the process? Job didn't bail out spiritually. He hung on. He clung, clinged, clanged to God. He didn't let go. And through the process, he could settle it that I know my Redeemer lives. And I'm going to stand with him one day. Even though he had a lot of questions on the front end. And as Jesus, here's the cool thing too, as Jesus hung on the cross as he carried your sin and my sin. And because of that, because he became sin, his own father had to turn away from him to where Jesus even said, Father, why have you abandoned me? Jesus is asking questions, and he asked why. In the bottom of your notes, there's a quote by Henry Blackaby that says, a crisis of belief is not a calamity in your life, but a turning point where you must make a decision. You must decide what you truly believe about God. I could say, man, that's true, because I know in my own life there was a crisis. Um, it was a turning point. It was something that I had to walk through to, to make my relationship with God my own. You know, Growing up in a Christian home, just hearing stuff, and you hear about God, but when you go through the gritty part of life and you have to dig in, you draw the line in the sand and you say, I know what I believe about God, and it's true. I believe his character, not what I'm seeing right now, because God is faithful. And so, you know, people generally go in one of two directions in life. You know, when a crisis comes their way, they become angry. They're, they're ticked off at God and say, man, if this is what life is all about, God, forget it. I'm going to bail out. 
Or second, you go down that difficult road and you say, God, I'm going to still trust you. You're willing to go through that season of doubt in your life. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So there you have it. Number two, I'm in trouble and God doesn't deliver. Here's another trail we go down. In verse 2b, violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Another reason we sometimes think that God doesn't care is when we're in trouble, we're asking God to bail us out and God doesn't do it. Violence is everywhere, he says, and I cry, but you do not come to save. That was Habakkuk's situation. He was praying. He was crying out to God with passion. How long, Lord? And you can almost hear the pain and desperation in his voice here. God, why don't you, you know, why do you tolerate wrong? It's the same thing. God, you know, here I am. Why does it seem that the evil people that I work with, they get promoted and I'm stuck where I'm at? God, how long are you going to help in my marriage? I'm praying for something to happen, and it's not. How long? Why don't you seem fair, God? You know, we can go down the list, boom, boom, boom. How long? You ever pray a prayer like that? We all have. Yeah. How long, Lord? Another reason why we think God doesn't care, number three, I see darkness covering the light. Verse three and four. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Why God? Why God? Here's the thing. As a follower of Christ, we can't become so obsessed with the why that we neglect the who. That's what happens. That's where people get sidetracked. They get so caught up with the whys, the who, capital W, who, God, they neglect him. And they just isolate themselves on the why. That's what happened to me. I felt sorry for myself. I bought a violin, very small one, and I played it every day. And I saw my world shrink to me. That's all my world was, me. And I felt sorry for myself. And I blamed God. God, where are you? Life isn't fair. You're not fair. You know, you just kind of walk through that, through that whole, through that whole process. Man, God, where are you? But here's the thing. Sometimes God delays the why so that we get to know the who better. That's right. We dig in and we find out really who God is, that we can trust him. 
And through the crises and through the pain and the suffering that you're going through, man, it's, it's that intimacy that's developed in that relationship with God. And so that's exactly what's going on. Habakkuk is saying, how long? How long, God, is this going to happen? So that leads us to number two. How do we know God cares? How do we know God cares? Looking at verses 5 through 11, it answers that. God responds, I like that, and the, the, I got a little subtitle in my Bible, the Lord's reply. The Lord's reply. Aren't you glad for that? The Lord's reply. How do we know? Because God does hear. Look at verse 5. The Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day. Even though it looked like in Habakkuk's eyes that God was deaf, that he was negligent in answering Habakkuk's prayers, God says, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. The first thing God does is assures Habakkuk that he hears his prayer. Not only had been God been listening to Habakkuk, but he was moving entire nations in position to answer that prayer. Here's the thing. God delayed because he was hoping that Judah would put their faith back in him through circumstances, through events, that Judah would, the light would go on and say, hey man, we have gone down this wrong trail and God is loving and forgiving and we need to get back on track again. God was waiting. There was a delay. Why? Because God loved Judah. He was waiting for that light to go on in their heads to say, man, we've been doing this on our own. We're worshiping and living for all these phony baloney gods. Mm. But God was in the process of answering that prayer, just like he's doing in your life. If somebody told us in advance how God was going to answer the prayers, we'd probably, you know, hey, I don't believe it. I, I, I just don't believe it. That's why in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What's God saying? He's saying, I'm God and you're not. You're looking at a photograph. I'm looking at an entire roll of film for your life. I do have a handle on what's going on. And so God gives us that great uh, example that he's God and I'm not. I'm, I'm kind of glad he's God and I am not. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And so we also see that God promises to deliver. Verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. God's going to deliver. God promised to deliver. He's raising up Babylon. What's interesting is they're, they're more evil than Judah at the time, and God's going to use them because he's God. He gets to choose how he delivers and answers our prayer. 
And three, God declares he will judge all evil. Verse seven, they are notorious for all their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. What was God saying? Habakkuk, it looks like evil is getting away with everything. It looks like people that don't live for God, all the good things are happening to them. It looks like good people are being punished for living a a holy, godly life. But I want to tell you something, Habakkuk. There's coming a day when I will judge all evil. That's encouraging. There's coming a day for each one of us when we think, man, I'm going to pay back that person that took advantage of me. I'm going to get revenge in that situation. No, God is saying, I, I will take care of all the evil that looks like it got away with. There's coming a day when all evil will be judged because I'm God. We can trust him. We can trust him for that. And so when we look at Habakkuk 1, you know, these first few chapters, I think of Ron Hartman, whose wife died from an artery getting nicked on a simple operation. And he went into a tailspin spiritually. See, that's what happens to some people in chapter 1. The question's how long and why. They don't give God an opportunity. They become bitter and resentful at God. And they walk away. They walk away, an angry person. But we need to know that God wants to walk us through every step of the process. You may have your doubts. Doubts are okay. It's unbelief that gets us into trouble. Unbelief will take you down that dark road. For example, doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is headstrong and stubborn. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with the darkness. You see? And Jesus attacked unbelief in a very strong way. Doubt, he walked us through. Doubt is, you know, it's okay. We have our doubts. We communicate those doubts to God. God's big enough to handle that. Just like Habakkuk, he had his doubts, man. And he was honest. And God walked him through. Max Licato says, Clouds of doubt are created when the warm, moist air of our expectations meets the cold air of God's silence. The problem is not as much in God's silence as it is in your ability to hear. And this morning, are we listening? Because yes, indeed, God is speaking. And even when God looked to be silent, he was in the process of answering Habakkuk's prayer, just like he's in the process of doing that in your life. Stephen Curtis Chapman 
wrote an article about how his heart was broken the moment God didn't answer his prayer to save his daughter's life. Stephen Curtis Chapman, he's a very popular Christian singer, wrote the song Cinderella and I Will Be There, just a couple. He talked about having that heart-breaking experience where he and his wife, Mary Beth, endured the loss of their five-year-old adopted daughter, Maria. And he wrote it in a memoir entitled Between Heaven and the Real World, My Story. Just like in the book of Habakkuk, we're living in a real world. We're living in a real world. There's a lot of pain. The older I get, the more I realize the pain that people carry in this world. To be a follower of Christ, it's not putting your head in the sand and, you know, just saying everything's cool. It's being honest. We're living in a real world. And I appreciate Stephen Curtis Chapman's honesty here, where he said, it just felt right to share this story, and I want the world to know about the high the highs and the lows in my life. And one of the biggest struggles he talked about was that accidental death with his daughter Maria back in 2008. And he and his wife had adopted Maria from China and they, can, they brought her into the family. She was like a daughter. She fit in the family like a glove, he said. But on May 21st in 2008, Maria's brother Will accidentally ran her over while he was driving on their property. Maria had been running towards Will in hopes that he would lift her up on the monkey bars when he got out, but he didn't see her, and he ran her over. And the family attempted to resuscitate Maria, but it was no use. And Stephen says, I can still remember praying to God in the hospital to save our daughter, but God didn't answer. The singer said he's thankful he got to write this memoir because I got to finally share in great detail what that journey was like and how desperate I was and determined that God was going to answer that prayer or I wasn't leaving the room. It took my wife whispering to me and encouraging me that the answer wasn't going to be what I wanted at that moment. I believe it's a process of having to trust God. It really comes down to a matter of a choice to say, I'm going to trust you, God, as foolish as it may feel right now, but I have nowhere else to go. Isn't that true? And during the interview, Chapman said that Maria's death was so unbearable that he would go somewhere just to scream until his voice was almost gone. They didn't know how to move on after the tragedy, he said, but it was our faith in Jesus Christ that sustained our family. He said, it still doesn't make sense, but I never felt like God had abandoned us. You see that? That's what Habakkuk's going through. He's asking the questions. He's got his doubts about God, but God is walking him through the process, realizing that he never abandoned Habakkuk, just like he's never abandoned you. And Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I thank you that your word is real. It hasn't been sanitized. There's pain, there's suffering, there's questions all throughout the Bible. And it gives us permission, Lord, to be able to come to you with those questions. 
with the whole idea, hey, God, I'm going to be transparent with you. And this is what's going on, and this is what I'm wondering about, and this is what I'm doubting right now. But God, we thank you this morning that you are a God who cares and you are a God who hears. And we thank you, just like the Chapman family, when they went through a crisis, they realized that you never abandoned them. I pray this morning, Lord, that you will make that real to each person in this room as well. We thank you for that kind of love. In Jesus' name, amen.